Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. I watched a few interviews of people who'd had heart surgery, and I was trying to imagine the emotions that go through your heart and your mind when you're told that there is a thickening of a vessel or a part of your heart, and it's no longer stretching, or it's died, it's, it's, it's dead tissue, and, and they need to go in there, and they need to remove it. And if they don't, you're going to die, but if they do, you're going to live. And, and imagining all that, and knowing you're going to be unconscious, lying on a table, and somebody is going to be cutting into the very middle of you to fix something that's not working, but it'll give you an extra lease on life. Extraordinary concepts. Amazing emotions. And you can understand why after heart surgery, people's emotions and thoughts are affected long after the physical symptoms have disappeared. It really does have an impact on you. And Jeremiah chapter 17. So I'm going to take you through 10 verses. The first verse is Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. In the ESV, English Standard Version, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Other versions say desperately wicked or beyond cure. The ESV says your heart is desperately sick. And so the first thing I have to do is give you the bad news. If you haven't had Jesus, the surgeon, doing heart surgery on you, your heart is sick. You can pretend it's not, but the reality is every single one of us has a heart problem. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 15 is our next verse. Jesus was talking to his disciples and they said to him, why do you use parables? Why can't you just speak plainly? Have you ever wondered that? <laughs> why on earth did Jesus talk in parables? And riddles. And Jesus said in verse 15, For the hearts of this people have grown dull. And that word dull means thickened, unresponsive, no longer sensitive, dead. The hearts of these people, they've got thickened valves or vessels or areas in their heart tissue. The hearts of this people, they've got a heart problem. The hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. The problem was people's hearts had become calloused and no longer sensitive. And I'm going to answer the question by the end of my talk today. But Jesus talked in parables because it's not just enough for the surgeon to say you have a heart problem. The patient needs to say, yes, I have a heart problem. And that was the purpose of the parables, to see which people of, of all those who were listening were willing to admit, I need help. He, didn't, he doesn't force his help on anyone. He gives the solution, but he wants you to say, please help me, doctor. There's a blocked heart. Life can't get to the whole body. Listen to this verse in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. You see, the problem with hearts and heart disease often is there is a blockage and the life flow of blood or oxygenated blood can't get to all the different parts of the heart or of the body. There's a blockage. And so God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And I've said this several times over the last few weeks. I want to reiterate it. The problem with most of us is not that we don't know the truth of God's Word. It's that it's enclosed in a small section of our insides called our understanding. It's just head knowledge. It's never got to my emotions, my will, my passion, my desires, my decisions. It's just in my own understanding. And this verse says, let God's life trust in the Lord with all your heart, not just with your own understanding part. In all your ways, acknowledge him and then he will direct your path. So the doctor is in session. He said, my dear patient, you got a problem. The heart is desperately sick. It's hardened and dead. There's a blockage and it's not. The life is not flooding into all of your heart, all the areas of your inward being. But if it would, then you would be able to walk in life and liberty. Let me go to the next verse. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of peace himself sanctify you, heal you. What that's saying is that it's possible for you to have a portion of your being healed and saved and sanctified and with God's life and love and, and blessing in it. It's possible for you to have a part of your heart healthy, but God's desire is to sanctify or heal you completely. And then he goes to speak about different compartments that make up your being. Spirit, soul, and body. Let me read that verse again. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May the doctor, Jesus, the surgeon, the heart surgeon, heal you completely. Get that healing into flowing into all of your parts, your inward parts. May he sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit. Now that's the very inward part of you. That's the part that God put in when he first made you or made the human race. He put the spirit there. Then the soul is the bridge between the spirit and the body. And then the body is the physical outward earth suit that you and I walk in. And God's desire is not just for your spirit to be saved, but for it to seep out into your soul, which is your thoughts, your emotions, your decisions your personality, and then he wants it to seep out into your body so that actually you get healed physically as well. And all the different parts of your life, not just spiritual and inward, but outward as well, start to be healed. May God himself, may the doctor heal you completely. Spirit first, he puts a new spirit in you. He makes you forgiven and born again. Then it moves out into your thoughts, emotions, decisions, and then into your body. So we've had a consultation with the doctor. 
Thank you, Dr. Jesus, for telling me I need help. Thank you for being so kind about it. Thank you for not being a bossy, judgmental doctor who says you shouldn't have been eating all of those types of foods. He says, look, there's healing. And now we look at the solution. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19. Then I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within them. I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. He's, he's telling us what he's going to do. We go to the doctor. He says, you're sick. He says, you need this procedure. We say, please, will you give us some, some information on what this operation will entail? Can you describe it to us? But don't talk too much about the sore that has to soar through my breastbone to get to my heart. I don't want to know all the gory bits. Just tell me the essence of what you're going to do, doctor. He says, I'm going to take that dead heart out and I'm going to put a new spirit in the middle of you. A new spirit, a brand new spirit. And that's what the Bible says is being born again. In John chapter 3, a man who was religious came to Jesus. And Jesus said, unless you are born again from above, you cannot enter heaven, the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, the man scratched his head. He said, what? How can I be born a second time? And Jesus said, flesh gives birth to flesh. In other words, your physical parents gave birth to your physical body. But spirit gives birth to spirit. God has to make your spirit alive again. You need a new heart in the middle of you. And I believe Nicodemus did become a Christian. I really do believe that. Right, what's the active ingredient? You say, doctor, thank you. You're going to put a new spirit, but what, what's the active ingredient in this, this cure? What, what are you going to put in me that gives me life? And now we get to some beautiful verses. John 6, verse 63. He says, it is the spirit with a capital S who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. It is the spirit who gives life. He says, I'm going to take of myself the Holy Spirit and I'm going to put him inside of you. And he gives you life. And then he gives us a little clue. He says, but there's a little capsule called my word that I'm going to put in you. The words that I speak are spirit and they are life. The, the active ingredient is included in a little tablet called my words. And they look physical, but as you take them, the active ingredient starts to spread. I don't have time to read the whole parable of the farmer who sowed seed. It's in Mark chapter 4, but verse 20 says this. These are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it and bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100. There's this idea of God puts his spirit in you, but it, then it grows. The word of God grows. The spirit grows. And now this is my main verse. If you've been asleep up until now, I forgive you. Wake up. This is the big verse. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Pay attention. It's so beautiful. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful. That word living 
comes from the same Greek word zoe, which means the life that God gives by His Spirit, supernatural life. The Word of God contains this life. The Word of God is living and powerful or active or energetic. It's the active ingredient is in it. The Word of God is living and powerful. This capsule, this tablet that I'm going to give you is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Let's in our own minds, use the word scalpel. Except he says two-edged sword, which means it's better than any human scalpel. It's actually double-edged. It it can do more than one thing at the same time. The Word of God goes in and it cuts on both sides. It cuts the human side, the, the worldly physical side that we're all aware with. When I hear the Word of God, It stimulates my emotions and my thoughts and my physical understanding, but it also cuts on the spiritual side, the real hidden inside supernatural side. The Word of God is like a two-edged sword. It pierces even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Wow! Now we understand he's using a special tool to do the surgery that has extraordinary properties. Let me take them bit by bit. First of all, he says, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. I mentioned in the previous verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, he says, I want to sanctify your spirit and then your soul and then your body. The problem is many of us cannot distinguish between our soul and our spirit. When I have a thought, when I have an emotion, when I am moved with passion to do something, is that the spirit moving me or is that simply my soul moving me? Is that thought coming from God or is it just something I made up myself? Have you ever had those thoughts? Why do I want to move to that city, that country? Why do I want to take this job? Why do I want to marry this person? What is going on inside of me? Is that me, my sinful human idea? Or is it the Spirit of God moving me? And it says the Word of God is the scalpel that goes in to your heart and it separates between what's God and what's you, soul and spirit. And it says it judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It helps you to know, is it you or is it God telling you to do that? And it comes from allowing the surgeon to put his scalpel, the Word of God, into your heart. And I want to say that is enough to change your life forever. Because you don't have to book into a fancy clinic. You can read God's Word. You can say, God, here I am. I'm lying on the operating table today. Let your Word cut into my heart. You know He's a good surgeon. You know He loves you. You know He wants the best for you. And you say, Lord, Show me. What, why am I thinking this? Show me what's going on in my life. Show me what I should be doing and what I shouldn't. Show me where I'm right and where I'm wrong. Help me and heal my heart. And every time you take God's Word in and you allow it to, it cuts between soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and the intents of your heart. And it helps you to find the way of life so that your heart beats with life and health. But there's a little phrase in there that I haven't covered. It says, it cuts between joints and marrow. Have you ever heard of 
bone marrow transplants. You know what they do? It's really interesting. You're going to think that I've got a medical qualification the way I'm talking today. I have no medical qualification. But Dr. YouTube is amazing. So what they do is if your bone marrow, you know you've got flesh and then you've got bones, but inside your bones is a factory that makes blood cells. Did you know that? It's called your bone marrow. There are stem cells, which are like little factory creating cells inside your bones in this fibrous tissue called your bone marrow. And it makes all the blood cells and the blood is what gives you life. Without blood, you're dead. But it's just this factory that's generating blood all the time. And it makes all the white blood cells that fight disease. The bone marrow on the inside, on the very, very middle of your bones, is the source of the life that you've got. If it stops, you're in trouble. And if it's diseased, you're in big trouble. But modern medicine has found a way of replacing diseased bone marrow on the middle of you with somebody else's bone marrow that is healthy as long as there's some kind of genetic similarity between you. But it can be people of a different blood type. Did you know that? So let's just say you've got a bone marrow disease and you find a person who is genetically similar, but you've got a certain type of blood, whatever it is, O or A or AB or whatever, and they've got a certain type of blood. If they're close enough match, even if they're a different blood type, what they do is they kill the bone marrow inside you. They take some of those stem cells out of that person's bone marrow. They inject them into you, it finds its way into your bone marrow and a whole new set of bone marrow gets created and you get a new different blood type. Did you know that? That is extraordinary. And so there was a case in Canada where they caught a criminal based on DNA evidence of a crime that he'd committed, but then they found out that he and another man who was in prison both had the same DNA and they couldn't tell which one had done the crime. They found out that the one had donated marrow to the other and there was a, blood, a bone marrow transplant and so their blood was genetically the same, two different people, but his other DNA wasn't the same. I mean, it's extraordinary what modern medicine can do, isn't it? You probably, if you're not of the medical persuasion, you're probably very bored and confused right now. But you know what? 2,000 years ago, before modern medicine had discovered what bone marrow does, how important it is, that it's the source of life, that it produces all these things, God inspired the Apostle Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, to say that the Word of God is like a scalpel that goes right through and cuts into the very center of your bones where your life is produced and separates it out and puts new life in there. It's extraordinary. This verse says, the Word of God is living, powerful. It's an active ingredient. It cuts in, it separates soul and spirit and thoughts and motives and all that. Just like a scalpel cuts through bone into the bone marrow and the life is exposed. That's what the Word of God does. But the, the patient has to be 
willing. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Another way of saying that is lay yourself on the operating table. I beseech you, brothers. What he's saying is, because I've shown you what a good doctor, and James spoke about this so well last week, because I've shown you what a good doctor I am and that I've got the cure, you now have to come and check yourself into hospital, say, God, I present my body (laughs) a living sacrifice. Operate. And he goes on in the next verse to say, then you'll be renewed in your mind and you'll be able to tell what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. How? Because you go to the doctor, you say, cut in by your word, Lord. Cut deep, all the way in, to the very center, to the very life-giving spirit in the middle of me, and let's see what's going on, and, and then your mind is renewed. But you've got to be a living sacrifice. God doesn't hijack you, put you in hospital, cut you open and put a spirit in you. You know, when we pray for family members to get saved, I have to tell you, if they don't want to get saved, it doesn't matter how much God does, they have to be willing. Amen? It's just the way it is. God respects the human choice that much. And then, now I'm going to get very practical. And this is actually the the main reason I'm doing this talk today. I believe that many of us have allowed the scalpel, and I'm talking to myself here because this definitely applies to me. Many of us have allowed the scalpel of God's Word to go into our understanding, our rational brain, so that we can quote various scriptures so that we can understand how the Bible hangs together, so that we we can say, yes, that verse means that, and this is the, the plan of God's salvation. We've allowed the scalpel to go into our brain, but it hasn't gone all the way, right down deep into the thoughts and intents of our heart, into the very spirit and soul where it's, it's separated all that is me, all of my heart. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Spirit, soul, and body. The scalpel hasn't gone deep enough. And there's several verses that I want to refer to. The first is the parable of the sower. He says, the the farmer throws the word of God out. Some soil is hard like a path. And right after this, the disciples said, why do you talk in parables? He says, because their hearts are hardened or dulled or insensitive. Some people's heart is hard like a path and they don't want the scalpel to go in. They say, what an interesting sermon, what's on the TV? He says, the devil comes and snatches it away. Some people receive the word with joy, but as soon as there's a price to pay, they give up because it was just an emotional response. It had gone in a little bit into their mind, a little bit into their emotions, but then they gave up. Then the third soil, he said, some people receive it deep, but there is all sorts of other seed in there already. Weeds, he calls them. Other thoughts that we've believed, 
And he says, when God's word comes in, he separates the thoughts and intents, the soul and the spirit. And he asks you to remove, which is called repentance. Remove those wrong ideas you used to believe. And if we don't, the weeds choke the word of God and it bears no fruit. But the good soil receives the word, receives it deep, not just mind, but emotions, will. Every area, desires, plans, it cuts, it cuts. You know, surgery is violent. We are hurt to be healed. And repentance hurts to bring healing. And if you haven't repented properly when you hear God's word, and you say, what does that mean? It means it cuts not just into your brain, but into your emotions, your will, and every area of your life. If you haven't, had that cutting going all the way through, slicing into the middle, there is a good chance that the surgeon has not been allowed to do his work. Hosea chapter 10. The whole book of Hosea is about repentance. Beautiful, beautiful book. And he talks about plowing up the soil, how God wants to plow the soil to plant the seed. Very deep. And in verse 12 of chapter 10, he says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. In other words, if you let God's word go in deep, you will reap mercy. You will reap good rewards. But then he says, break up your fellow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. That means I have to plow up. I have to cooperate. I have to let God's word go deep. I have to say, God, it's not enough for me just to hear and be interested. I want your word to radically cut all the way through and change everything. And only you can do that. You know, King David in the, in the Old Testament is the most beautiful king in the Old Testament. He's just amazing. But he sinned. He desired a woman who was married to one of his best friends. Uriah the Hittite was one of his mighty men. And he wanted her and he slept with her. And then he wanted to cover up his sin. So he got his friend murdered. And for a year, he didn't feel guilty. He had hardened his heart. And Nathan the prophet in 2 Samuel chapter 12 comes to him. And he says, there was a certain man who had one little lamb who he loved. And he looked after his little lamb and it even slept in his bed with him. He loved his little lamb. And a rich man next door who had thousands of sheep and lambs took that man's lamb and ate it for dinner. And that man was left with nothing. And David was angry. And he quoted the Old Testament law. He said, that man must repay four times and he must be punished. It's terrible. And Nathan said, you are the man. You've taken Uriah's wife. You have everything, you've taken something and his life. You are the man. And David's heart was suddenly cut through. And Psalm 51, he just repents. If you have time, read Psalm 51. He says, Lord, I've sinned. Against you, I've sinned. Created me a clean heart. Forgive me. It cuts all the way through. He brings words to the Lord. He expresses his sorrow. His emotion is involved. The rest of 2 Samuel chapter 12 talks about it. It says he goes into his room 
where after he's been confronted, he goes into his room, he lies on the ground, and for seven days, he stays lying on the ground. He doesn't eat anything. He doesn't drink anything. He is praying and repenting and mourning before the, the Lord for seven days. Why? What's happening here? I'll tell you what it is. God's word has got into the middle of him. You know that violent cutting motion that they have to do to get to your heart? where there's a ripping and a tearing, that's happening to David. His emotions, his motives, the thoughts and intents of his heart, his desires, his will is involved. He's deciding, I'm going to lie on the ground and I'm going to pray. And then he overhears his servant saying, the child's died. And so he gets up, washes himself, cleans himself, makes himself look presentable. And he goes in and they say to him, what's going on? When the child was sick and dying, you were lying on the ground, and now the child's died, you get up and you're moving on. He says, I will not, he will not come back to me, but I will go to him. What he was saying is that child is in heaven. I will go to him one day. He'll never come back to me. I've done wrong and I'm moving on with my life. And he starts acting righteously. He starts changing his life. He loves his wife Bathsheba. They have another child who's called Solomon who becomes the king and the ancestor of Jesus. And amazing forgiveness and mercy floods into the situation. But I want to show you that David's emotions, his will, his activities, his mind, every part of his soul, heart, soul, mind, and strength was involved in the repentance. It wasn't just an intellectual exercise of, oh yes, that's wrong. And that's why the word repentance in the Bible is the word metanoia, which means to change your mind. And I'm going to ask you, my dear brother or sister, have you repented when you've heard God's word? You say, Greg, this, please, let's just have a nice sermon that's all just interesting facts and I can discuss it over lunch with my friends and whether it was right or wrong. No, no, God's word requires a cutting, friends. If it doesn't cut through into your emotions, heart and will and deciding place all the way in and separate your heart open, then you haven't received God's word. You're like the the soil that just has the word landing on it or maybe going very shallow. And God says, I'm warning you, I'm pleading with you, I'm the good surgeon, let my word go deep. Okay, I'm just going to read one more passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. For even if I made you sorry by my letter, this is Paul writing to his dear Christian church in Corinth. And he'd written a letter with God's instructions about some things they were doing wrong and others within their congregation were doing wrong. He says, even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. He heard that they had been very upset by his letter and he was sad because he didn't want them to be sad. But then he says, for I perceive that the very same epistle or letter made you sorry Though only for a while, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. In other words, he's seen the bigger picture. It's like a surgeon saying, I'm really sorry I'm having to cut into your chest. But then he says, ah, but I'm healing you. Paul says, I was sorry that you were upset by God's word, but now I realize 
I'm rejoicing because it's brought healing. For it led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you may suffer loss from us in nothing. You know, repentance leads to a better result. Loss in nothing, a better result. If you've done wrong and you repent, you let God's word go deep, the end result is better. He goes on to say, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, or in other words, with no regrets. That's why people who've sinned and been forgiven by the Lord are not ashamed to, to tell people they've sinned because there's no regrets. God is good. I'm healed. He goes on to say, but the sorrow of the world produces death. When you're just sad because you've sinned, but there's no way of being forgiven or changing, it just leads to more a downward spiral of more sadness. And then he describes repentance. Verse 11, for observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. That means you were active. It's not just mental. It, it involved your actions. You did some things as a result of my letter coming to you. What clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal. He's saying that there was an emotional response and a verbal response where you said, yes, this is what we did. We did this wrong, we did this right. They're judging the thoughts and intents of the heart. You were able to verbalize and change and there was an emotional involvement in the repentance. What vindication, another version says, what eagerness to see justice done. In all these things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. That doesn't mean they've done nothing wrong. It means that after repentance and forgiveness, you are clear in this matter. It's as if you never sinned. And my challenge to us, church, let's not miss the surgeon's knife of repentance. Don't let God's word just be an intellectual exercise. Let it cut all the way in. Break up the fallow ground. Plow your heart. Say, God, show me. Let your word cut deep. Show me what I've done wrong so that I can be healed. And when that happens, there is so much rejoicing at the end it's, it's the best feeling in the world because I was wrong, but I've been healed. I've got a new lease on life. I've got a new heart. Praise God. Have you gone through repentance, godly sorrow, repentance, life, joy? If you haven't, you're missing out on the most wonderful heart surgery in the world. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.